just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Monday. We're starting another week. And no doubt this week is going to get crazy. I think every week is going to be a little crazy between now and 2024, between the investigations, possible indictments, court cases, trials, all the shit that's going on. Donald Trump can't shut up. We've got Elon Musk losing his shit. There's always plenty to talk about, and we'll have plenty to talk about on this podcast. Now, as you no doubt know, I didn't do a podcast yesterday. It's unusual. I don't usually miss a day with the podcast, but yesterday I did. And I'll be honest, if I'm going to miss a day on a podcast, it's going to be Sunday. There's not a lot going on. I'd like a day of rest and just take it easy and calm down. That wasn't the case yesterday, though. I took the time off because a problem arose, a family problem with one of my sons. Now, it wasn't a big deal, not life-threatening or anything like that. But I'm a firm believer if your kids have problems, you drop whatever you're doing and you fucking help out. In fact, I've told both my sons, no matter who it is in your family, if they have a problem and they need your help, you drop everything, no matter what it is. Don't tell me you're too fucking busy. You help your family. Those are the one group of people that you can count on and they need to count on you too. So that said, I had to deal with that problem. Now, here's the thing about dealing with sons. I don't know if it's so much the same with daughters because I don't have daughters. But with sons, it's interesting. When you run into a situation, maybe they have to make an important choice or maybe something went wrong and they need help with it. It's my nature to give advice. As you know from listening to the Rational Boomer podcast, I do it all the time, whether you want to hear it or not. But I'll tell you one thing that's interesting about sons. They don't want to hear advice. They don't want to listen to shit. Now, that said, my, if, say, my brother, who would give the very same advice, they would accept it like it's manna from heaven. But coming from me, they don't want to hear it, which is weird to me. Because when I was young, I didn't have a dad to bounce things off of. So I always sought out older guys with questions or problems I had. And I did it for one reason, because I knew they were older and because I assumed they probably had the very same problems at one point in their life that I'm going through now. And they could either tell me what they did to fix it or how they fucked it up. And that's what I told my kids. I said, you know, I know a lot of stuff, if for no other reason, because of experiences. I've had problems in my life. Wouldn't you like to know what I did to make it work out? Or even wouldn't you like to know what I did to fuck it up so you could cross that off your list and save yourself a little time and trouble? They don't want to hear that shit. <laughs> it's funny, but like I said, if my brother or somebody else who's not directly related like I am, they would accept it as genius, even if it was the same advice I'm getting. So anyway... I spent the day Wednesday kind of dealing with that, but we got done with it early. So what we did instead is uh, my two sons and I, just the f three of us, sat and watched the Vikings football game like we used to do when we were younger. And it was kind of fun. You get some hors d'oeuvres, you get some meat and cheese and all that stuff, and you just hang out with the boys and you watch football. And it was a great time. It was a good time to spend with with sons, and uh, it was a fun experience. Of course, the fucking Vikings lost, so that put a fucking damper on everything. But the personal part of it, that was that was good. So I didn't do a show on Sunday. I'm doing one on Monday. I'll continue to do them as I normally do them. But from time to time, shit will happen. Life will happen, and I will have to take a powder for one podcast. 
So we're talking about the start of the week, and as I've said, there's a lot of things happening right now, a lot of interesting things. And I just wanted to tell you one thing that was interesting before I get into the stories. We know that uh, Elvin Bragg, the DA up in the Manhattan District, was prosecuting the Trump Organization. You know they were found guilty on 17 charges, so that's a fucking problem. We also know that when Alvin Bragg took over this job as the DA from Cyrus Vance, he kind of uh, cowed away from going after Donald Trump and investigating Donald Trump, even though uh, two prosecutors that were hired by Cyrus Vance said, you know, we got him cold to rights, dead to rights, whatever the phrase is, and uh, we should indict this guy. But at the time, Elvin Bragg said, yeah, no, nah, we're not going to do that. Not sure why he said that. But then all of a sudden, they get through this court case and they convict the Trump organization with 17 counts. Now, Elvin Bragg got a lot of heat for deciding not to prosecute Donald Trump. And that's a problem for him because he's an elected official. And if everybody fucking hates him or thinks he's gutless, well, that's not going to bode very well when the election comes around. So Elvin Bragg starts to change his mind. He starts saying, well, we beat the Trump organization so easily, 17 counts. We know Donald Trump has his hands on all this stuff. Maybe, maybe we should investigate him. Now, so what Alvin Bragg does, he hires uh, uh, a prosecutor by the name of Colangelo and uh, presumably to investigate Donald Trump and see about the criminal aspects of this case. Now, the interesting thing about this Colangelo, nobody really knew who he was. But it turns out he was the lead prosecutor in the, uh, in the uh, case with Attorney General Letitia James and the civil, uh, the, uh, civil trial that's going on there. So this guy has been in the know on top of everything all along the civil case. So this guy knows everything. He can jump in fully up to speed with all the evidence in his head and in his documentation and such. So that's who Elvin Bragg hires to look at prosecuting Donald Trump criminally. That's an interesting angle. I really honestly think he waited till after the Trump Organization trial to see what the climate was. If he could win that one, maybe he felt more comfortable going after Donald Trump. And from all appearances, it looks like he's doing just that. So that's good news. Finally, Elvin Bragg sees the light and uh, grows a set of balls to actually go after Donald Trump. And that's just one of many things going on. You've got the Manhattan District now looking into Donald Trump. They convicted the Trump Organization. You got Letitia James with a civil uh, case in the uh, state of New York. We've got Georgia with Fonnie Willis. We've got the DOJ looking at um, a lot of things with Donald Trump. The two big issues, though, are, of course, the Mar-a-Lago top secret documents case and the insurrection. And of course, newly appointed special counsel Jack Smith has seemed to have kicked things up a notch, is moving faster on, a, on those pair of criminal probes around Donald Trump. Now, here's the interesting thing about Jack Smith. He remains in Europe currently recovering from a biking accident. Smith has made a series of high-profile moves since he was put in charge last month, including asking a federal judge to hold Trump in contempt for failing to comply with a subpoena, ordering him to turn over records marked classified. So this guy's still over in Europe, as far as we know. But fortunately, we got a little thing like the Internet, and uh, he can be read into this wherever the fuck he is, and clearly he's in it and on top of it. Now, since Thanksgiving, Smith has brought a number 
of close Trump associates before a grand jury in Washington, including two former White House lawyers, three of Trump's closest aides, and his former speechwriter, Stephen Miller. He has also issued a flurry of subpoenas, including to election officials in battleground states where Trump tried to overturn his loss in 2020. So he may be in Europe. He may be injured from a biking accident. But he's going full force in this shit. Now, Smith takes over a staff that's already nearly twice the size of Robert Mueller's team of lawyers who worked on the Russia probe. And a lot of people are comparing these two investigations, and they're not similar at all. A team of 20 prosecutors investigating January 6th and the effort to overturn the 2020 election are in the process of moving to work under Smith, according to multiple people familiar with the situation. Smith will also take on national security investigators already working on the probe and the potential mishandling of federal records that Trump stole and took to Mar-a-Lago. Now, so we've got twin investigations going on and have already established more evidence than what Mueller started with, including a year-long financial probe that's largely flown under the radar. Now, Mueller basically was starting from scratch. Jack Smith is on top of it, and they've got all kinds of things already. Um, Smith also won't be constrained in the same way as Miller, who deferred decisions on whether to charge Trump because he was a sitting president. People want to compare and say, oh, nothing happened with the Mueller report. Fact is, a lot happened with the Mueller report. A lot of crimes were exposed, 10 separate obstructions of justice, all of which carry a maximum penalty of 20 years. But we know about this memo in the DOJ. Who wrote it, I don't know, and why it's a thing, I don't know. But for a sitting president, you can't indict him, at least while he's president. And so... Because he wasn't indicted, this is what all the Trump fucks say. They say, well, he wasn't indicted, so he was totally exonerated. Not the case. Not the case. Donald Trump was protected because he was president of the United States. As luck would have it, he is no longer president of the United States. And uh, he's fully at risk of uh, being indicted. And, and, and to be perfectly honest with you, if, uh, if Jack Smith is being brought into this, that's the only reason they bring him in, because they are going to throw some indictments around. And I suspect that uh, we're not too far in the offing that these indictments will start to fly. We'll talk more about some of that in a bit. I wanted to spend some time talking about Elon Musk, though. What kind of piece of shit is Elon Musk? I don't understand what he's doing. He bought Twitter. He's running it into the ground. And he continues with this MAGA support. Now, Elon is supposed to be smart, right? He's supposed to be a smart guy. Why did he jump on a sinking ship? He has to be able to see that. What is the game here? Is he that stupid or is he playing some kind of long con? I don't I don't know. But Elon Musk told his 120 million Twitter followers on Sunday that Dr. Anthony Fauci should be criminally prosecuted, echoing taking points from the far-right conspiracy theorist he has increasingly aligned himself with on the platform, and God knows why. Seems like the dumbest thing in the world. So Elon, trying to be funny and clever, he said, My pronouns are prosecute Fauci. The attack came as Fauci, the nation's top immunologist, prepares to step down. The guy's retiring, for Christ's sake. He's been there for like 50 years. Fauci is the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases and served five decades in public health. Now, Musk provided no explanation for the message, but it followed a prior tweet in which he shared a meme mocking past coronavirus lockdowns. Now, of course, the tweet got a lot of support from far-right 
activists, including Marjorie Taylor Greene. Until it was reactivated under Musk, Greene's personal account had been permanently suspended from Twitter for spreading COVID-19 misinformation. She's also advocated against transgendered acceptance and equality. For the life of me, with all the problems that the Republicans have, why are you still bugging Fauci? So he was part of the reason why they shut down many businesses. Well, let's be honest, a fucking million people died. It wasn't like it was a hoax like Donald Trump said. And let's be honest, had Donald Trump did anything a normal president would have done when this first started, we wouldn't have had the problems we had. Donald Trump essentially did nothing. He said it was a hoax. He said it would go away. And because of that, a million Americans are dead. Fauci has always faced intense backlash, including death threats for advocating COVID-19 vaccines and social mandates, including mask usage that aim to prevent the virus from spreading more than uh, more than one million people have died, as I've said, since early 2020. Here's what I don't understand. They're mad at Fauci about causing people to wear masks. They're mad at Fauci because there were business shutdowns. But a million people are dead because of Donald Trump's neglect. And they aren't mad at him. I'll be honest with you, I'm fucking mad at him. Friends of mine that I knew, that I cared about, are dead because of COVID. Because nothing was done. So Musk is aligning himself with the right wing. All of those people advocating against Fauci. He removed a company policy spreading COVID-19 misinformation and granted amnesty to users whose accounts have been frozen, including for posting hate speech and inciting violence. These accounts included neo-Nazis and from former President Donald Trump, who was banned from the platform for using it to incite the attack on the U.S. Capitol. Musk attack and Fauci also comes amid weeks of turmoil at Twitter that followed his takeover, including mass employee exodus, slowing ad revenue. Like I say, he's running this motherfucker into the ground. And you would think once you start doing that, you might say, you know, hey, maybe I'm doing this wrong. Maybe I need to step back and change up my plan of attack. This is this is one of the tips I always give to my kids and anybody else who asks for it. If you're doing something and it's not working and you keep doing it and it continues to not work, maybe you stop for a moment and say, maybe I should do something different. Now that seems to be an easy bit of advice to take and maybe common knowledge for the average Joe, especially somebody who's supposed to be a fucking genius. Sometimes when you're doing something and it doesn't work, sometimes it's interesting to do the opposite. I'll give you an example. I've told you about my little arguments with uh, a family member about, uh, about Donald Trump and COVID and all this other shit. The situation I was in with this person, I was in their house and they became unhinged and they started ranting and raving and getting out of hand. Now, I knew at that point that the playing field for them is getting in a yelling match. So I didn't want to give them that benefit. I didn't want to play on their turf. So I stayed calm. I stayed very calm. I made my points, but I stayed calm. And that incensed him more, quite frankly. And, uh, and of course, when you talk to them now, they say, oh, you were yelling and screaming. And then my wife steps up and says, as hard as this is for me to believe, Mike did not yell once. He was very calm. And she says, trust me, if he fucks up, I'll be the first one to nail him. And she is absolutely right. She will be the first one to nail me. 
But the point is, is the reason I did that is because I knew what he expected. I knew what he wanted, so I decided to give him the opposite. And frankly, it worked. It fucking worked just fine. <laughs> now, my, my sons would never take this advice, but think about that. Everything you're doing, if it's not working, just change it. Maybe go 180 on it and do something different. If you're dealing with a human, it will confuse them. It will make them lose a step, and they won't know what to do with it. Don't give people what they want. Give them the exact opposite that's going to give you a better advantage in any kind of debate or argument. I'll give you an example. If I was to debate Ben Shapiro, which I would love to do because this fucker has one tactic and one tactic only. Talk real fast and keep talking and uh, try to run people over. Well, with Ben Shapiro, I would just slow everything way down, take him out of his game, maybe make fun of him for talking so goddamn fast. What are you, trying to sell me a used car, or are you fucking trying to make a point? But you do that, that takes them out of their game and gives you a better advantage when you're dealing with that person. So when you're in a situation again and you have trouble with it, and you're not getting through or you're not winning the debate, switch it up. Go the opposite way and see what happens. Anyway, Musk on Saturday also basically accused Twitter's former safety head, a guy by the name of Yoel Roth, of supporting online child sexualization. Really? You're going to go the pedophile route? Musk accused Roth, who resigned last month, of advocating for child, children being able to use adult websites like Grindr in a Ph.D. thesis. According to a snippet of the thesis shared by Musk, Roth argued that young adults will continue to use the hookup site despite it likely not being safe or age-appropriate for them, and so, and so more safeguards should be added to them. So Musk suggests that he's advocating for them. But if you listen to what I just said, what I just read here, Basically, what this guy is saying is these sites are there. You can ban kids from being on these sites, but they will find a way to get on those fucking sites. So maybe you put more safeguards in it. He wasn't advocating for children being on uh, on these websites or child sexualization, but you see how they pervert this. They do whatever they can. They say whatever they want to in order to push along their agenda in spite of the fact it's a flat-out fucking lie. This isn't just Elon Musk. This is, this is all Republicans. You know, they talk about, um, they talk about this Brittany Griner thing. This Brittany Griner thing where... Joe Biden and the Democrats negotiated something out to give a pretty serious criminal, a pretty serious spy from Russia, trading him for Brittany Griner. Now, people are whining and crying about um, not getting Paul Whelan instead, a former Marine. They didn't get Paul Whelan, and, and, and of all things, they got a black lesbian. My God. And they're crying and whining about it and complaining to Joe Biden. But what they fail to mention is that Paul Whelan was put in jail, what, in 2017, 2018, during the Trump administration. And during that time afterwards, Donald Trump showed no interest at all to negotiate to get Paul Whelan out. In fact, there's talk that there was a deal on the table with the Russians, Paul Whelan, for this same spy they let out for Brittany Griner. And Donald Trump denied it. He wouldn't follow through with it. So the Republicans complaining about Joe Biden, at least Joe Biden got somebody out. Donald Trump did not. The only people that Donald Trump got out were 5,000 members of Taliban that were in the fucking prison that once he let them out, helped them take back Afghanistan when Joe Biden took the troops out of there 
keep in mind, the deal for taking the troops out of Afghanistan was negotiated and set up by Donald Trump. This is what they do. They lie, they talk shit, and try to project everything they've already done on Joe Biden or the Democrats or whoever the fuck. This kind of information has to get out there more. More people need to know about it. It's always been the case with Republicans, as I've said, like with Ben Shapiro or any of these fucks. They talk loud, they talk fast, and they don't stop talking, so they end up controlling the narrative. It seems like the Democrats are making up some ground here. They know the game, and they're starting to play the game and beat the Republicans at the game. The Republicans are getting hit on all sides, and it's getting tougher for them to try to saturate the narration. And that's, that's good news, frankly. We need to shut these motherfuckers up. First and foremost, we need to shut up Donald Trump. Donald Trump keeps yapping, and all that does is cause more problems in this country. We're going to see it now when um, Republicans take over the House of Representatives. Okay, And I know the Republicans are talking big, oh, when we take over, we're going to be in charge. The fact of the matter is it's a slim margin. The amount of power they have will be limited at best. But they're all excited. They're talking about all the things they're going to do. And some Democrats are worried. Oh, my God, democracy is going to end because the Republicans have the majority, a thin majority of that in the House of Representatives. But here's the deal. What people are missing about this thing with the Republicans in the House. The Republicans have spent six years and they're really only done three things. Obstructionism, conspiracy theories, and owning the libtards. They don't do anything else. They don't have the capacity to do anything that their job would normally require and actually work for this country and accomplish some things and work for the people of this country. They don't do it even when given a chance. They refuse to do it. So when you look at the Republicans taking over the House of Representatives with this slim margin, you have to understand something. These motherfuckers can't even get along with themselves. You got two factions here. You got the MAGA faction and you got the people trying to walk away from the MAGAs. What you also need to understand, there isn't one single person on the Republican Party at this point can garner 218 votes, which is required to elect a Speaker of the House. Now, that election is going to come to pass on January 3rd, and they still have nobody that they can get elected. Everybody's fighting against everybody. But they don't have time to fight with the Democrats because they're too busy fighting with themselves. And if they don't elect a Speaker of the House on January 3rd, well, that's going to be quite an embarrassment because, well, that's never what well, hasn't happened for 80 years. It's usually a foregone conclusion. This group of people can come together, decide on one person who's reasonably acceptable to all parties in the, in the party. But that's not happening here. Just not fucking happening. You know, I've talked about other things that could be done. You know, we've got uh, 214 Democrats in the House of Representatives. If they wanted... They wanted to fuck around and undercut the MAGA people. What I would do is I would take my 214 votes, pick out some kind of acceptable Republican and say, hey, do you want to be Speaker of the House? And when they say, yeah, you say, OK, all you got to do is get four votes, get four votes, maybe even including yours, three plus yours. And we'll make you Speaker of the House. The Democrats will give you 214 votes. You need four more. You're Speaker of the House. Pissing off MAGA. Pissing off Kevin McCarthy. Pissing off Andy Biggs and whoever else wants to be Speaker of the House. That would be the smart thing to do. So we will see if, in fact, that happens.
The other cool idea I heard, this isn't coming from me originally, this came from another TikTok person, but it's an interesting angle. You've got uh, Kristen Cinema, who decides to defect from the Democratic Party and become an independent. Everybody's worried about that. Don't be worried. Everything's going to be all the same. It's not going to really hurt anything. But if you really want to play the game, and you're Joe Biden, you say, listen, uh, Kristen, you're quite a talented gal. How about we put you on my cabinet or make you an ambassador? Now, she'd have to seriously look at this because she knows she's not going to get reelected in 2024. She has no chance. The Democrats hate her guts. And she could become a spoiler by being an independent candidate, but she's still not going to get elected. She's going to have to look for a job. And to be perfectly honest, being in a cabinet or being uh, an ambassador, another nice line item on your resume. And she's going to need to pull out the resume in 2024 because she's going to be out of a job. But why this would be a good idea if she accepted a cabinet position or an ambassadorship, then the governor of Arizona would have the opportunity to appoint a new senator to finish out her term. Just so happens, the governor of Arizona is Katie Hobbs, who is a Democrat, and she would most certainly appoint somebody to be the senator to finish out the term. And uh, then we'd get a real Democrat in that position. That might take some doing, but, you know, let's be perfectly honest. Um, Christian Sinema only has one interest, enriching and uh, raising her profile. She's all about attention. Just look at the way she fucking dresses on the Senate floor. She's all about getting attention. So work off her ego, get her a better job or a different job that gives her better hopes for the future. I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, if they make her ambassador of some country and the Democrats win in 2024, the presidential office, whether it be Biden or whoever, she's probably just going to keep the job. So she's got another gig for four years. If she runs for Senate, she's done in 2024. So you might be able to appeal to her, uh, her personal interests there. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. There are some ways the Democrats can fuck with the Republicans. And if it were me, I would do it. But I'm not in the Democratic Senate or the Democratic House. I don't know what the fuck they do. But they should do something. They have some opportunities here and they should do something. All right. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. So in 10 days, December 21st, the January 6th Select Committee investigating the January 6th insurrection is going to have another presentation. I don't know if it's going to be closing arguments or if it's going to be like a hearing. I'm not exactly sure. But we also know that also at that time, they are going to release all of the evidence, not just to the DOJ, not just to the Republicans, but to fucking everybody. There's going to be a website where you can download documents and all kinds of shit. And that is going to be a windfall for the media and for we podcasters. Like I uh, I think I told Chris the other day on, on the show, I, I can't wait for this. I mean, when it comes to deciding what you're going to talk about in a podcast, you're going to have a plethora of evidence and information that I can use in these uh, scenarios with with the podcast. I mean, there's going to be a lot of evidence out there. The average Joe isn't going to be able to read everything and know everything. So the media is going to be hitting you up with the high points. And maybe I can hit you up and some other podcast can talk about some of the other points. The important thing is this evidence will be available to everybody and it'll be important that everybody gets to hear it and be able to make a decision on what they're hearing. And it's not going to be good for the Republicans. It's not going to be good for Donald Trump. Now, there's another part of this coming up on December 21st, which is interesting. 
the House Select Committee met yesterday on Sunday to discuss the possibility of making criminal referrals to the Department of Judge Justice, which will put Attorney General Merrick Garland on the spot over whether to file indictments. Now, during an appearance on MSNBC's Katie Fang show, one former federal prosecutor explained that she expects to see Donald Trump and Attorney John Eastman at the top of the list of referrals. Somebody stated on the January 6th committee that there would be at least one referral or there could be many referrals. It'll be interesting to see if these referrals go down to the sitting members of Congress. Now, Professor Kim Wheel at the University of Baltimore School of Law said criminal referrals are not the same as indictments. That's important to know. But there is a clear evidence from a previous court ruling that a crime or crimes were committed by the former president and his attorney. Now, Katie Fang says, who do you see most likely the candidates to get a criminal referral? Um, she, she said, uh, there's been some reporting out there. We see Mark Meadows' name, Rudy Giuliani, for example, Donald Trump as well. Do you think there are any potential surprise names that could be on that referral list? Now, we already know that David Carter, a federal judge out of California, that from his perspective, John Eastman and Donald Trump together likely committed crimes. That's already been stated by a federal judge. So it's a fair bet that they're going to be the top two. And this wheel, this professor at the University of Baltimore School of Law, um, replied, So I would add him to the list. Of course, he pled the fifth many times, as did other members of the Department of Justice that would likely be identified in the indictments who tried to get the or to inject himself into the hierarchy so that the DOJ could be used as a weapon in the January 6th committee. Um, of course, they mentioned Rudy Giuliani. Uh, she added, the key here is that people can hear the story. I really think the January 6th committee did that to some degree. So on the 21st, we are also going to hear about criminal referrals. I think without question, Donald Trump will be in there and John Eastman, as they pointed out, but it could be Meadows, it could be Giuliani, it could be sitting members of Congress. Who the fuck knows? But that day is going to be a red letter day. A lot of shit is going to fall on the Republican Party and specifically on Donald Trump. They're going to do a final presentation, a closing argument, if you will, and then they're going to release every bit of evidence. Now, keep in mind, they interviewed over a thousand people. There's hundreds of thousands of documents. So it's going to be a lot of shit. A lot of people are going to be going through this, picking out the hot spots and reporting on it in the media on the internet, all kinds of places, you are going to be hearing a lot about this. This is going to be like a snowstorm of evidence. It's going to be a snowmageddon, if you will. A local radio guy uses that term. I didn't make it up. I stole it from him. But anyway, December 21st is going to be a big day. We're going to get a presentation. We're going to get all the evidence, and we're going to get criminal referrals. That's going to be one of those days when we say this following phrase a lot. Holy fuck! Because there's a lot of stuff in there that we don't know yet, and we will know after December 21st. There's a lot of things that the Republican Party and Donald Trump don't know that has already been exposed. So... This is going to be a fun day. This is going to be an interesting day, and it's only 10 days away. Well, we couldn't have a show unless we talked about a dumb fuck Trumplican. So let's bring up Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's a Republican, of course, from Georgia, which just fucking kills me. You know I have an affinity toward Georgia. I have a place down in Georgia. 
I'm happy as hell that uh, Raphael Warnock, John Ossoff are the blue senators there. little upset that Stacey Abrams didn't beat Kemp, but you can't have everything. But Marjorie Taylor Greene, for God's sake, is from Georgia. She's not from any place I've seen in Georgia, because most of the people I know in Georgia are very smart, very decent people. And nobody with half a brain and nobody that's decent would vote for fucking Marjorie Taylor Greene. You have to be as big a dirtball as she is. So let's talk about how big a dirtball she is. Marjorie Taylor Greene claimed that if the events of January 6th had happened her way, we would have won. We would have won. So she's already aligning herself with insurrectionists. <laughs> if the courts have to decide whether there's any intent in Marjorie Taylor Greene with, January, with regard to January 6th, that is proof right there. Green spoke at the New York Young Republican Club in New York City on Saturday evening, where her speech largely consisted of blasting the Biden administration, calling the government corrupt, and reaffirming her opposition to supporting Ukraine's defense against Russia. Her remarks eventually arrived at the subject of January 6th, where she scoffed at the past accusations that she gave capital tours to Donald Trump supporters before they wound up laying siege to the building. Well, Margie, I tell you this, if you did, there's video of it. If you did and there's video of it, the J6 committee already has it. And if the J6 committee already has it come uh, come December 21st, we all going to have it. And it's going to be a fun day seeing how you were culpable for January 6th. Now, Trump supporters, before they wound up laying siege to the building, then January 6th happened. And the next thing you know, I organized the whole thing along with Steve Bannon. This is Green talking. I will tell you something. If Steve Bannon and I organized that, we would have won. Not to mention the fact that we would have been armed. She said that. She said that to a group of people. And now it's all over the fucking media. So she's telling us here that she's aligning herself with insurrectionists. And it wouldn't be enough to have done what they've done. If she and Steve Bannon were running it, they would have been armed. So she's advocating these insurrectionists going in fully armed with weapons, with guns, to take over the Capitol. See, in her mind, she thinks she was still right. But according to the courts, according to the investigations and the witnesses, she's dead wrong. She's flat out fucking confessing here that she was involved. She only has one regret, and that was that she and Steve Bannon weren't in charge, so they could have done it right in her mindset. Now, ever since the Capitol riot, Green and other Trump defenders have attempted to minimize the attack by falsely claiming that it was not an armed insurrection event. As it were, former Trump aide Cassidy Hutchinson testified. She said that the ex-president knew his supporters were armed at the January 6th speech. And they have, there have been numerous examples of rioters carrying guns and other weapons during the events of that day. They always want to tell you there was no guns. Yeah, there were guns. Attendees posted video clips on Twitter of their incendiary remarks uh, from uh, Green at the event, including railing about President Joe Biden and the Democrats' communist agenda and lamenting Herschel Walker's loss in Georgia State or Georgia Senate runoff. Now, the thing is, I know Lauren Boebert is an uneducated piece of shit. She's stupid. The thing is, Marjorie Taylor Greene does have a college degree, so she can't be absolutely ignorant. So I can only presume that she's evil and she's fucking vile. If she's educated, can be, she be that stupid where she confesses in public, in the media, 
that she would have preferred that she and Steve Bannon would have been in charge of the insurrection. She would have supported the insurrection, and she believes if those two were in charge, they would have won because she would have armed those people. How much more do you got to fucking say? Moving on, former U.S. Attorney Preet Bahara quoted the wire's Omar Little when NBC's Chuck Todd asked him what the Department of Justice is waiting for to charge President Trump. And, you know, clearly this is what we're all asking. What's taking so long? We know if Donald Trump were just an ordinary person like you and I, we'd already be in fucking jail. So it's a legit question. Why are they waiting? Now, on Sunday morning's edition of NBC's Meet the Press, Todd noted that a flurry of activity in various Trump investigations and asked Bahara, what do you think justice is waiting for? Now, Bahara explained that while he believes the DOJ is loaded for bear with evidence against Trump, there's a reason to be as deliberate as they're being, and then quoted this Omar Little from the TV show The Wire. I'll give you the conversation here, how it went. Chuck Todd said, I want to move to all of the various Trump investigations. There was a lot of movement this week. A federal judge decided to not hold Trump in contempt over these classified documents. We'll talk more about that later. I guess the question is, he's already admitted he took it. What do you think the justice is waiting for? Preet Bahara says, oh, the Justice Department. Chuck Todd said, yeah. Preet Bahara goes on to say, oh, look, I think they're, to coin a phrase, loaded for bear. They've appointed a special counsel of Jack Smith. There are a number of very seasoned prosecutors, uh, two of whom I worked with very closely at the Southern District of New York when I was U.S. attorney and before. Remember, Donald Trump fired Preet Bahara when he first got into office. And before that, I thought, who I think are brought up on uh, for purposes of figuring out if there's a triable case, a chargeable and triable case. And I don't think they would have left their former positions, both in government and in private practice, unless there was a serious possibility that the Justice Department was on a path to charge. And I think it will happen within a month. I think that sounds reasonable. Chuck Todd, and your definition of a triable case, meaning you can win it, you have all the evidence, because you can have all the evidence but not win a trial, right? Preet Bahara goes on to say, I mean, I think those are intertwined. They're not going to proceed. You generally do not proceed unless you have a great likelihood of success, but the prerequisites is that you believe that the person is guilty of the crime, right? And when you're charging somebody in maybe the highest stakes trial in some ways in history, and it is because it's the former president of the United States, you got to have all your ducks in a row. Chuck Todd says, I was just going to say as a prosecutor, you're going to say, hey, look, politics isn't supposed to enter in this, but it does. How does it? He says, well, I don't know that politics enters into it. I think prosecutors have to be careful about having public trust, right? Chuck Todd says, political fallout. Barrara says, yeah, you keep wanting to use the word politics. I don't want to use that word. You know, the famous phrase, if you run at the king, you best not miss. That came from the show The Wire. There are a lot of people who are going to be opposed to this prosecution. So like any prosecution, you want to have your T's crossed and your I's dotted. And you want to have proof beyond a reasonable doubt. And you want to have a strong case. I think you want to have an exceptionally strong case when you're bringing it into context. I'll use your words. Things are very politicized to show not just the jury in the case, but the public at large. So Preet Bharara makes a, um, a good point, and it's a point I think we all know. This may very well be the biggest, most important case involving politics in the history of this country.
you cannot afford to fuck it up for two reasons. The embarrassment, of course, that's part of it. But also because you're going to get a lot of people getting away with something that they shouldn't get away with. So they want to make sure that these people get convicted. So they're being cautious. And I know there's a lot of people out there that um, are anxious and upset that it hasn't happened yet. I think all the signs that we see show it's going to happen. We just have to be patient. And, you know, I was talking about giving advice earlier in the show. And here's another bit of advice. When you're in a situation, a very important or risky situation like these folks are, it's always better to slow things down. When people say, I wish he was in handcuffs in jail right now, they're, they're thinking and they're speaking out of emotions. Anytime you have an important situation, you've got to take the emotions out of it. If you don't take the emotions out of it, chances are you're going to make the wrong choice. You're going to jump the gun. If you're going to indict Donald Trump anyway, and you know this, isn't it better to slow it down a little bit? Make sure all your T's are crossed and your I's are dotted. And be absolutely certain when you walk into this. I think that's good advice. And as much as it's frustrating to us to watch this and wait, in the end, it's the smart thing to do. I mean, I think it's something that uh, we all should look at. I've always talked to people and I always say to people, you know, things always turn out for the best. And many of them will say, well, not for me. Uh, didn't turn out for the best for me. And I'll tell you where the problem comes in here. If you kept the emotions out of things, you focused on the problem, you did what you need to do, you had patience, and you just followed it through, it will work out for the best. But if you become reactionary, if you become emotional, and you make decisions to make a fast fix. I mean, that's the natural nature of people. Something goes wrong and you do everything you can to fix it as quickly as you possibly can. But often when you do that, it turns out worse because you're not thinking, you're reacting. So when you have a problem in the future, just slow it down, pull it back. Look, think, act. Do not react. And I think that's what the DOJ is trying to do here. I think uh, Merrick Garland is the epitome of somebody who is slowing it down and trying to be sure. And in life, it's good advice too. Do not react. Do not react out of emotions when you make important decisions. Make thoughtful decisions. And in order to do that, you need to slow everything fucking down. So take that for what it's worth. You can be anxious about Merrick Garland, but if you have the ability to be patient, you will be rewarded in the end. All right, we were talking about Brittany Griner earlier. Of course, the country is celebrating the release of American Brittany Griner, the basketball player from a Russian prison. And of course, some on the right are criticizing Joe Biden for leaving behind her fellow prisoner and U.S. citizen Paul Whelan. And again, as I told you up front, Paul Whelan has been in prison since 2018, and members of his family have made several attempts to contact Donald Trump and the Trump administration while he was in office, all of which were ignored, according to Whelan's brother, David Whelan. This is coming from his brother. Now, keep in mind too about Paul Whelan. And and when I say this, it doesn't mean that I don't think he should be released. He should be. But the Republicans want to make you believe that the Democrats chose the <clears throat> black lesbian before the war hero. Whelan is not a fucking war hero. Paul Whelan is not a, for, a war hero. He was um, He was kicked out of the Marines. And the reason he was kicked out of the Marines 
is because he stole something like $10,000 from somebody else in the military. And for that, he got a dishonorable discharge. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't deserve to be released. But from that point, he went to work for a private security firm. Uh, Maybe even mercenaries for all the fuck I know. I don't know. But he wasn't working for the government. He had been kicked out of the military, and he got caught. Now, because he was working for a private security firm, we don't really know what the fuck he was doing. It was enough of a concern for Donald Trump to ignore cutting a deal to get him out. Apparently, there was a deal on the table um, with Whelan for this boot guy that they traded Griner for. Donald Trump didn't want anything to do with it. Didn't want anything to do with it. He didn't do anything. And the Whelan family, as much as they wished their relative Paul would released instead of Griner. They understand the circumstances. And frankly, at this point, the Russians weren't even putting Whelan on the table. So Joe Biden did the best thing he could do, get what he can get in the situation and get Griner out of there. It's a publicity nightmare for one thing. But She is an American citizen. And there are other citizens in Russia and other countries that we need to get out as well. The problem is the Russians saw Brittany Griner as an opportunity. They snapped her up, not necessarily for breaking any laws, but because she was high profile and they knew that there would be some heat on the American side. I mean, we know the uh, the Russians did many things to try to help the Republicans in the 2022 election, and this is one of those things. They would have never released her before the 2022 midterms because it might have helped Joe Biden. It might have helped the Democrats, and the Republicans are getting help from the Russians. I don't care what anybody says. The fucking facts prove it out. So he gets Brittany Griner out, does not get Paul Whelan out. That's not to say that Joe Biden isn't going to continue to try to work a deal for Paul Whelan and some others that are in Russian jails. At least Joe Biden did something. Donald Trump refused to do anything. In fact, the only people he got released were the 5,000 members of the Taliban that helped to take over Afghanistan once Joe pulled out of Afghanistan, and everybody wants to give Joe Biden shit about pulling out of Afghanistan. He only completed a deal that Donald Trump made before he was out of office. So he releases 5,000 Taliban. He probably got money for this shit. He cut the deal, and Joe Biden didn't really have much chance. The deal was there on the table. He had to do what, what was in front of him. But if there was any bad choices made in that withdrawal from Afghanistan, that was Donald Trump, not Joe Biden. Now, this Whelan guy was sentenced in 2020 to 16 years of hard labor on espionage charges. The U.S. maintains Whelan was framed and Whelan's family is calling out the administration who let him sit there for two years. Not Joe Biden's administration They're calling out Donald Trump. Whelan called Trump out on Twitter saying, Trump appears to have mentioned my brother, hashtag Paul Whelan's wrongful detention, more in the last 24 hours than he did in the two years of his presidency in which Paul was held hostage by Russia. MSNBC's Ali Veshi, Velshi, reports on the horrific conditions in the Russian labor camp where Whelan is being held, as well as the Trump administration's ignorance of the entire case. It's not even so much they ignored it. They didn't know shit about it. They were too busy making money with their hotels, Donald Trump's hotels and shit, to even deal with the situation with uh, Paul Whelan. See, that's the thing. All the time Donald Trump was in office, 
Donald Trump is not a detailed guy. He's not a guy that gets his hands dirty and gets any fucking work done. He's a fucking show pony. He wants to stand up and give rallies and scream and yell, let the people behind the scenes do some shit, and if he wins one, he takes credit for it. If he loses one, he blames somebody for it. That's who Donald Trump is. He's not a working politician. He's a fucking show pony. All right, let's talk about this Christian cinema thing briefly, because that is certainly causing some consternation in the country. Senator John Tester of Montana, he's a Democrat, on Sunday said, Senator Kirsten Cinema switching her party affiliation from Democrat to in- independent does not functionally change the Senate. I think a lot of people thought, oh, she ruined it for us. Everything's different. We're screwed. That's not the case. She's not going to be much different. Tester told NBC's Meet the Press. Uh, he was surprised Cinema made the change, but the Democrats would continue doing the same thing in the upper legislative change chamber. Functionally, I don't think the changes it changes a thing, said uh, the senator. She's going to continue to caucus with the Democrats, so we will still have the committee structures that we've had before. Now, Cinema announced the switch to the independent party last week, shortly after the Democrats won the key Senate race in Georgia and secured a 51-seat majority. As I've said before, Christian Cinema only has two interests, her own enrichment and her own popularity. She wants to be in the news. Like I said, if you saw her when she first entered the center floor, she had what she had pink hair, blonde hair, and some very tight, colorful dress. She stuck out like a sore thumb. Fact is, she reminds me of a fucking sore thumb. But anyway, that's all she wants. She wants some popularity. So when she doesn't become senator or reelected as senator in 2024, she can do something else. Go on TV, write a book, do a, 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 a talking tour or, you know, whatever the fuck she wants to do. And as I've said, it would be nice if uh, Joe Biden could convince her to be on the cabinet or in an ambassadorship and then have the Democratic Governor Katie Hobbs of Arizona put another Democrat in there. That would be the best of all worlds. Some people say, "Well, she wouldn't do that because she wants to be senator." Yeah, she wants to be. She wants to be something after 2024, and she's not going to be a senator. She's not going to be reelected in 2024. So she's got to look to the future, and being an ambassador or being on a cabinet, say Joe Biden wins the election in 2024, and she's got another four years of fucking employment. Now, the Arizona senator, Kristen Sinema, expressed a wish to keep her committee assignments, but she said she never fit neatly into any party box. Removing myself from... uh, the partisan structure, not only is it true to who I am and how I operate, I also think it'll provide a place of belonging for my many folks across the state and the country who are also tired of the partisanship. Well, that's well and good, Miss Cinema. But when your constituents voted you in, they voted you in as a Democrat. Now you're telling all those people that voted it for you because you were a Democrat that, oh, in the middle of the river, I'm going to switch horses and I'm not going to be a Democrat anymore. That's not going to do well for her. Fact is, this is proof that she has nothing to do with her job but her own self-aggrandizing. This is just going to piss off the people that voted for her and it's going to make it even more difficult for her to be um, elected or reelected to the Senate. It's not going to happen. She's not going to get reelected. Somebody else like Ruben Gallegos or somebody is going to take her place. There's just no question about it. Now, the thing is, Cinema is a moderate lawmaker. She pissed off the Democrats earlier this year when she blocked changing the Senate's filibuster rules to support voting rights legislation and codifying abortion protections. 
A lot of people think she sides with the Republicans, and that's not really the case. Because the fact of the matter is, when she came into the Senate, she was kind of a Green Party kind of gal, you know? She was all about the green energy and all that stuff. She's since voted against it in certain circumstances, but that's where she started. She's voted with the Democrats 99% of the time. She's identified herself, and I don't remember exactly what it is. She's either bisexual or non-binary or whatever she is. Or maybe it changes from day to day with her. Um, That's not somebody the Republicans want any part of. I mean, they might try to coax her to, to get a majority, but that's not going to work. Tester said on Sunday that Arizonans will get to decide whether they want Sinema reelected, adding that he personally has no bones to pick with her. Come on, Tester, you know better than that. She served this country well, the senator said. The Arizona people are going to have a choice now whether it's a Democrat, an Independent, or a Republican. I'll be honest with you. I do not see her even running for re-election. What would be the point? All that would do is piss off Democrats more at her if she did that, and then she'd have nowhere to go. So that's not going to happen. Joe Biden needs to cut a deal with her. She's in a position where she needs to cut a deal. So this is an opportunity for Joe Biden, the administration, and the Democrats. Get her the fuck out of there. Give her some kind of future hope and uh, get her out of the Senate. Because in the Senate, she has no fucking hope. No hope at all. All right, we are going to wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I want to thank you for um, taking the time out of your day to listen to the Rational Boomer podcast. Thank you for giving me a pass for not doing a podcast yesterday. I'll try not to make that mistake any more often than possible. I hope you have a great day. And we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.